AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. It's the day after Thanksgiving 2022, and we have got a really cool show coming your way. There is a lot of work that is done by commodity groups that takes a dedicated group of individuals to represent you and the products that you produce here and around the world. Hey, let's celebrate some of their work. Live from Happy Holidays Friday via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Megan Kaiser from the United Soybean Board. Then it's Daryl Cates from the American Soybean Association. And finally, Bradley Shad representing the National Corn Growers Association. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis, were, were, were those jingle bells that I heard? I'm feeling so festive today. I just, I can't wow. keep it in. I can't keep Dude. it in. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I was pretty perky yesterday. Yeah. I was feeling it. Today is just a little bit more of a recovery effort than, oh. than you know, I was all about the anticipation uh-huh. of the big Thanksgiving meal, which, by the way, did yes. not disappoint. <laughs> did not. But today, you know, I'm like, eh, I'm not, I can't even work up the ambition to shop online. I, I hope other people are. We got to keep this economy going. I think but, they are. I, I just can't get myself worked up to do it. I don't know. Well, you okay? Is everything okay in your world? Well, I'm doing great. And you mentioned yeah? yesterday on the morning show how much you appreciate our, our listeners, each and every one of them. And, uh, Absolutely. and thank you all for, for listening over the years. Dude, it's been like, what, eight and a half years now, something like that? I don't even know yeah. anymore. I'm not much yeah. for math. Um, but the thing is, especially on a day like today, the mind can kind of wander a little bit. Sure. And sure. I understand there are other programs out there, okay, that people could be listening to. And I thought, really? I've done this before, but why don't we just tune in and, and see what those other programs are up to on a day like today? Let me see if I can get my radio tuned in. There, here, here we go. W-O-P-S News. This morning, a feral turkey was shot as he strolled in solitude on Jack London Boulevard. An investigation has been launched against Mayor McVandal, who last night after a town hall meeting was heard to have said, quote, If I see one more expletive turkey strolling smugly, I'm gonna... That's where the mayor trailed off. We'll have more on this on W-O-O-P-S as it develops. I'm Zarek Haplenbjerg, W-O-O-P-S News. And with that, it becomes clear. Right. Why? Why one needs to stay tuned in? Because nobody cares about the turkey. You know, not like that. It's it's not well, news. I mean, seen, they're doing the best seen. that they can. But when 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 we say we're talking turkey, we're talking with producers. We're talking with research facility managers. We're. Yes. I mean, we we take it very seriously. Absolutely, absolutely, we do. And plus, you've seen them. You've seen how they are. Mm-hmm. They strut around. Oh, they think they're so cool. They think they are the coolest thing. They're loud as can be. They Mm -hmm. don't care. They don't care who they're in. I've had it with them. I've had it with them. You know, I won't stand for it. Well, you know, it it, it's they're 
their proper place is the center of the table. Oh, and they're so deli- They do that so well. You know, stay in your lane, turkeys. Stay right. in your lane. Surrounded by the sides and the gravy <laughs> and all of that stuff, that's their proper place. Yeah, yeah baby. No doubt Yeah, baby. It. Yeah. I kind of agree with the mayor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of there really? with him. Well, yeah. he trailed off. We don't know if he's guilty of a crime or not. You know, come well, to think of it, I'm... the fan might have got him. I may revisit WOOPS News and find out how that story unravels. All right. All right. You know, like I said, the tryptophan might have got him. Got me yesterday. No question about it. There yeah. were football games all over the place. I don't I, – I, I can't recall any of it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. I, I don't watch soccer myself, but uh, I hear it's very exciting. <laughs> Speaking of very excited, are you ready? Is everything – all systems go. Uh, all systems go. Uh, mixed results on the pants so far. Not oh. sure if we're going to fit or not. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, there there are in there are creative things that you can do with a belt. Uh huh. Uh huh. So I may have to get creative, keep, or you know, that I I I do also have the pants in the larger size to fall back on. Worst comes to worst. They don't fit know, as well. They don't look quite as, you know, it's trim a and time neat. Of antici- it's a time of anticipation, and I would just anticipate going to the larger size. I am absolutely freaking out. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, uh, what are, we, yeah. we, we've got a little bit of time left here. Have you got anything yeah. in the news? Well, yeah, and this would this would come from Wednesday morning, but I wanted to give you, as as I did yesterday, just give you a chance to riff a little bit on this. Okay. Uh, high input prices helped fuel debate over the next farm bill at a recent Senate Ag Committee hearing. High diesel prices, of course, mean high food prices. Farmers and truckers struggling uh, to pay for diesel. Five thirty a gallon, up a buck fifty or so from last year. I got a, a clip here from Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. Uh, who's concerned for the farmers in his state. Here he goes. We're losing them in our state. I don't know about the other states, but, you know, with diesel so expensive, with fertilizer so expensive, urban people are moving south to Alabama, and you can't blame our farmers for selling out because they can make a living. They can make money off their land. And uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to figure out we're going to have to eat in this country. Boy, there's a lot in there. Um, where he, where he there really up- is. We're going to have to eat in this country. I mean, true yeah. words never spoken. <laughs> you got that right. You got that right. And what what the senator was was uh, really defining there is one of the issues that I've always had with the Farm Bill, because what the Farm Bill negotiators will do is take a snapshot of the current situation and write a bill to address some of the issues that that are happening right now. Now, if the Farm Bill negotiators in this case would focus on the input side of the industry and the input side and and focus on it very specifically, to me, that would suggest that they would write some things into the bill that would help producers offset the cost of these higher inputs. Mm -hmm. If that happens, if that happens in the Farm Bill as we go forward, what's going to happen to the input costs? They're going to stay high because mm-hmm. they know the input providers then know that the 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 producers are have got a way to cover some of those costs. So they're they're, they're going to be reaching right through to the government payment and finding a way of pulling those those supports 
forward and away from the producer and right into their their hands. So we need to be very careful, very careful in this snapshot that is being taken and how it will be used for the uh, for the farm bill and the supports going forward, which reminds me, Davis. Yes. Um, there is a huge amount of representation. I talked about it in the open. A huge amount of representation that happens out there in Washington, D.C. by individuals that have volunteered their time and are they, they are a dedicated group that are leading the commodity groups out there. And we're going to talk with some of the commodity groups and their leadership uh, today. And we're going to focus on soybean side of things, but we're also going to get into the biofuel issues as, as it relates to the National Corn Growers Association. But what a dedicated group that, that I talked with last week down at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters. We're going to kick it all up all off with Megan Kaiser from the United Soybean Board next, right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk on this Friday after Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for making time for us. Last week, I had a chance to make my way down to Kansas City National Association of Farm Broadcasting meeting down there and and um, had many conversations. And right now, I'm sitting and talking with Megan Kaiser. She is the vice chair of the USB. Uh, Megan, welcome to AgriTalk. Thank you for having me. All right. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? I'm from Missouri. Just a, a we farm in Carrollton, Missouri, uh, an hour east of Kansas City, where we're sitting right now. We're the fifth generation. We, uh, my husband and I, farm along with uh, my in-laws, Glenn and Nancy Kaiser, and um, we farm soybeans and corn, and all within a few miles of the Missouri River. All right. What got you interested in serving on the on on the uh, soybean board? Well, the checkoff is an incredible. Um, 
board because it's no other opportunity have I experienced where farmers from all over the country, we put in a, a, some, a few dollars and then we work really hard on investing that to make sure that every farmer has a return on investment. But by doing that, we get to engage in things like uh, river infrastructure, um, looking at research and development, testing products, uh, being a third-party, non-biased way of saying this is what is out there for farmers. Um, we also get to act as an international marketing firm uh, where we're really connecting with international buyers. All of these things would be too difficult for Kaiser Family Farms to do individually and too expensive. But uh, so it's, it's really an honor to be one of the farmers to serve on uh, the United Soybean Board and um, get to be a, a, see this work firsthand. Yeah. 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 Well, good, good, excellent. Um, one of the challenges throughout the 2022 harvest has been the river and the water levels. Uh, the, the infrastructure development, there's actually some money being spent on projects that seem very worthwhile now, right? Well, I'm really proud of this because, uh, you know, we're here in Missouri. We've got two major rivers. We had a very dry, frankly, we had a, we've been dry since planting season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, when I look at the, the dry river and other concerns with rail, we uh, know that that's having an impact on our basis. And so uh, a few years back, we knew infrastructure was a huge part of our ability to reliably deliver our crop to the global marketplace. Yep. And we said, you know, one of the linchpins in the system okay, so is the lower Mississippi. So and so we looked at this dredging project um, that had, everybody knew this dredging project needed to happen. And we're like, well, what's, what's holding it up? There was no money for research and planning and development. And that was kind of just holding it up. It was just sitting there. Well, guess what we can invest in? We can invest in research and planning and development. We can't persuade public policy. We can't take ownership of anything. That's not what the checkoff is for. But we were able to break a barrier of entry. And, and the United Soybean Board said, here's $2 million. And then we were met with a $200 million investment from the federal government and the state of Louisiana. Because they said, if farmers are willing to put in that kind of money, this is clearly a federal priority. And so it's, it was really exciting. It was kind of a breakthrough case yeah. of, of how to even engage. And it wasn't just, you know, it was USB uh, farmer money made with farmer decisions. Yeah. Uh, but then it was partnered with, you know, the American Soybean Association saw what we were doing and then they were able to work on the policy side. Yeah. Uh, the Soy Transportation Coalition was able to give the technical of here's here's the places yeah. that this needs to go. But it was, it was the soy checkoff that was able to kind of get the ball rolling. And, and I'm just really proud of the vision that farmers had because we, we know how important that is to our bases. You know, the, the team effort that it takes to get these projects done, you mentioned some of the other organizations that, that are involved here. There has to be a willingness among the different groups to team up and it, it, by, by joining forces, it more than doubles down your power, it, it multiplies it. That's right. I mean, we, we all usually grow more than one crop, yes. too, right? And we know that by uh, investing, yep. we're going to have wheat going out to the global, global marketplace. We're going to have corn going out to the global marketplace. And we're going to be able to bring up our inputs, uh, fertilizer and things like that. Um, 
more effectively too. And so a reliable infrastructure is, is just an, an incredibly important yeah. part of the system. Well, when we talk about the export market, being a reliable supplier and the infrastructure helping the U.S. be a reliable supplier to importers out there around the world, it's such an important piece of the puzzle that happens. But we've also got to have that market and that bigger and bigger market out there around the world. USB plays a very important role in that. What's got you excited about market development that's happening? Well, you know, I think where I get the most excited is I look at some of the projects that um, we're doing through WISH and the American Soybean Association and also the U.S. Soybean Export Council, or USEC. We're not only just trying to sell our beans, but we're, we have these soy excellence centers um, around the world. Uh, we also have, you know, one of my favorite to talk about is this inland and uh, in-pond raceway system for aquaculture. We're helping... Uh, in Cambodia, where their diet is really reliant on aquaculture protein, and um, we have helped them with the technical expertise to make that more sustainable because they're having they're having a hard time uh, with ocean fishing and it, the fish just aren't there. So we're making them more sustainable, helping them with the technical information and sharing of ideas. And guess what they want to buy? They want to buy U.S. soy yeah. to feed those fish. And so not only um, are they buying our grain, we're not giving it away, but they are building a more sustainable feed uh, and, and food supply in their country that overall leads to you know the United Nations goals of zero hunger. Yeah. And, and that's really exciting as a U.S. soy farmer from Missouri that we can have that kind of global impact, um, you know, that children around the world are going to yeah. be like my kids going to bed with a fill, full belly yeah. um, that was produced in their country. Yeah, and you ha you, we can have an impact on that. And when I look at how the bean market here in the U.S. is developing, we're increasing our crush capacity because the refiners want the bean oil. And we're doing it to the point that if we don't find a home for some more of this soybean meal, we are going to get buried in the stuff. But it's projects like that where we are developing that fish food. We are developing, and you, you said that in Cambodia that aquaculture provides the protein. You go around the rest of Asia, it's not just aquaculture. It's poultry. It is pork. And to a lesser degree, beef. They're importing more and more U.S. beef, which is great. But the development of the poultry and the, the hog industries in these other countries as a potential source of demand for U.S. meal going forward, the work that USB is going to be doing over the next few years is so critical in all of that, Megan. It's so exciting. And you know, you say, what are we going to do with all this meal? Well, the good news is we've got lots of people who are, who want to buy it. Yeah. And uh, you know, that might even make us more price competitive if we're crushing for oil then you have more meal available and uh that, that's great for livestock producers yeah. so I, I think that that's really exciting i think that um the oil industry is also so exciting because you know it was the investment from 30 years now yeah. of, of of u.s farmers saying we want to do something with this byproduct and now that it might even be not the byproduct maybe more the co-product we're able to do food and fuel in a sustainable way be a green input, a, a, a green replacement for fossil fuel dependence. 
this is incredibly exciting that the world has these big questions, these these big concerns, and demands. U.S. soy, and, and they have big demands, and U.S. soy is able to meet that. And you know, I I, I kind of talk about at USB. We've got the solution to a lot of these things. We just have to make sure we're in the right room so that people know we're the solution. You know, Megan, I've only got about a minute, maybe a minute and a half left here. But to see the the green movement take place out there and, and to see some of the leaders talk about how we're still looking for solutions. One of the solutions that they are looking for is right in front of them with the biofuels and the renewable diesel in particular. I mean, it's just, it, it, we're still in an education phase. Absolutely, and that's what the checkoff does. We provide information and education so that people can make better informed decisions. And um, I think we've made a lot of strides, and I'm, I'm grateful that so many farmers take the time to really look at the global landscape and say, this is where U.S. soy can, can really leverage um, our investment to, to make better decisions in the future. That's outstanding, Megan. Uh, good luck to you in the year ahead. I, you got a big year coming up. We think, we hope, right? We'll see. We'll see, yes. Yeah. The U.S. soy definitely has a big year coming up, and uh, it will be very exciting to watch and see what we do next. Very good. I'm sure that we'll be talking more in the future. That is Megan Kaiser. She is the vice chair of the United Soybean Board. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, appreciate it. And we'll be back with more AgriTalk here in a moment. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Determining which risk management tool to use starts with analysis of the basis market. In times when basis is trading above the three-year average, strategies that capture the strong basis should be used before basis falls back to normal levels. That means using a cash marketing strategy to lock in basis. In times when basis is trading below the three-year average, use a strategy that leaves basis open to allow it to rally back to average levels. That means using a futures or option strategy to lock in just price. Even with corn, soybean, and wheat prices at relatively elevated levels, tight carryover projections mean any hiccup in South American or U.S. production could send prices sharply higher. Corn basis across much of the Corn Belt is well above average, which means executing a cash market strategy to capture basis, a basis contract a cash sale, a forward cash contract. 
tight supplies also mean many producers remain optimistic that prices can rally even further. So, to maintain marketing flexibility, cash sales are often used in a sell and replace strategy. Here's how it works. The cash sale locks in both price and basis. However, if a call option is purchased against the cash sales, only basis is locked and price remains open. Call option premium increases as futures rise and the call premium deteriorates as futures prices fall. And because the most that can be lost on a call option is the premium paid, the cash sale combined with the long call position establishes a minimum price while leaving open the upside potential. Learn more about risk management at tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us on this day after Thanksgiving 2022. Uh, we've been providing some coverage from the NAFB meeting last week down in Kansas City. Had a chance to talk with Daryl Cates, the vice president of the American Soybean Association down there. He joins us right now. Daryl, welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Daryl, tell me about your operation. I farm 15 miles south of St. Louis. I'm uh, in the Mississippi River bottoms in Columbia, Illinois, and raise soybeans, corn, winter wheat, and then double crop that wheat into uh, uh, soybeans. All right. You, you, we're going to talk about some of the challenges that you were up against in the middle of the harvest, but it was kind of a challenging growing season for you, wasn't it? It definitely was. We weren't able to get the uh, corn planted yeah. early, and uh, matter of fact, it uh, got to the point where I actually quit planting corn because of the uh, it was getting late, and I didn't want it pollinating there uh, in the heat of the summer. And so we ended up planting more soybeans, and so saved a little money on the input costs on corn. You said you're uh, double cropping beans behind the wheat. Have you always done that? Yes, always have. Okay. You going to do more of it in the future? Well, we increased our acreage, I think, about 25 acres this year. Okay. So not, not a, I mean, I used to raise about uh, 400 acres, and I'm down to about 200 now. Okay. You know, the, the only reason I ask that, Daryl, is because it seems like everybody that we talk to in, in soft red country, boy, it... it they're not growing soft red if they're not double cropping, but they are growing more soft red so that they can double crop. Are you hearing that too? Definitely so. Yeah, there's, I'd say, probably 20% more uh, wheat acres sown in our area this year. That's what I'm getting at. And the when, when you look at the, the total revenue generated by that SRW and those double crop beans, even if they make two-thirds, 60% of a yield, the revenue potential is there. Definitely. I mean, last year my double crops were raising uh, as much as I was getting uh, 50 to 55 bushel beans on double crops, which is, I mean, that, that, and then I had 100 bushel wheat per acre. Oh, I mean, it was a win. I mean, you, you, can't, you, you can't raise corn for that. No. And so this year our double crop, I mean, since we did go through that dry spell, 
Uh, if we would have just had one more rain there in September, we, we would have had as good a double crops. But instead, we were raising uh, a 40 to 44 bushel an acre on the double crop, which is still a really good. Yeah. It used to be that if you got 25, 30 bushel an yeah. acre, you were thought you were fortunate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right. You said you're 15 miles from the Mississippi? I'm only, actually, the way the crow flies, I'm a mile and a half from the Mississippi. <laughs> good grief. Okay. So this gets us to the challenges that you were dealing with during harvest. I, w I, I would assume the most of your bean crop goes from the field to the to the barge, right? Well, because the basis was so low, yeah. I I put all of our beans in the bin this year because there was a a dollar ten cent difference from uh, then yep. to uh, January market. So I put it in the bin. Yeah, but. Well, uh, I mean, what is scary, though, is if we don't get any moisture, yep. by December 11th, it's predicted that the St. Louis uh, River level will be a negative six foot. That's, that's a record low. I mean, and they're already, normal barge fill is about uh, 11 to 12 foot. They're down to a nine foot. That's 15, 10 to 15,000 bushel less on that barge. And if we go to a minus six and they have to drop another foot, that, that could be another five to 8,000 bushel less on that barge. So, I mean, it, it, it's very worrisome. Well, and that just means that it's more expensive to push every bushel down that river. And if it's more expensive to do that, somebody's got to pay for it. And you that would be us. that would be you, Daryl. That's that's right. Yeah, that's where that basis, the stinky basis comes from. All right. Yeah. I mean, normally St. Louis in the wintertime has a, always a positive basis. Yeah. We could easily have a negative basis. Yeah. Yeah, the other issue that's scary is with this railroad strike looming. Absolutely. I mean, you take, if something doesn't happen and they go on strike on December 4th, here you got a low river, you don't have rail, and there's no way there's enough trucks to ship that down to New Orleans. No. You know, and it's been interesting to see some of the diversion of some of the product up to the PNW. You know, just a... A, a good number of beans leaving the country through the PNW, but that's not the most efficient way to make it happen. No, definitely not. Yeah. All right, what else is on your radar for the year ahead? Well, of course, the 2023 Farm Bill. Yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic. I really think that we can get this done this year with the new Congress coming on. I, uh, one of the, uh, uh, through our focus groups, of course, uh, the crop insurance is very important to keep. We got to have everyone that that was a main issue saying, do not lose our crop insurance. Right. Uh, that's our safety net. We have to have it. The other big thing is, you know, the agriculture sector has kind of been left stagnant in getting more money for yep. things. I mean, your FMD MAP programs. I mean. It's been that level for 20-some years. We need to increase that. We saw what happened with the Chinese when they quit buying. I mean, you, when you got one big country getting that many beans, and then all of a sudden, where do you go with them? I mean, that's what these markets uh, funding to go into these other programs to help these emerging markets to develop uh, use 
of soybean meal, soybean oil in that country is, is definitely necessary. Yeah. So, from your perspective, down in Missouri, when you look at the crush capacity that's being added in the northern production areas, it's almost like we're changing this whole bean market, isn't it? Definitely, yes. I mean, you take uh, in the Dakotas, yeah. I mean, adding uh, two or three more plants, yeah. I mean, they're actually going to finally start seeing a positive basis. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think it's going to change the way that we're moving product around the world. We've, we've got to find more markets for U.S. soybean meal, don't we? Definitely do. The thing is, uh, Chip, I really feel that with uh, crushing more beans and we're going to have more soybean meal, yeah. it's going to make it cheaper for the livestock people here in the country. But then it's going to actually we're going to be competitive now with Brazil and Argentina to that uh, ship uh, meal out yeah. and that I think we we will actually be able to move that meal because of our competitiveness then. Yeah. All right. I kind of steered us away from that farm bill. I want to take us back there real quick okay. because of the funding issue. When we take a look at the reference prices that we've got right now on the safety nets, they're inadequate based on, on, on where we're at from the amount of risk that we've got on a daily basis. I just don't know if there's going to be any funding available to lift those reference prices. Well, I think it's important that we need to prove to how that we definitely need to raise yeah. that because it never triggered during the Chinese uh, embargo. Yeah. I mean, they uh, if you didn't trigger it then, you're never going to trigger it. Right. Very good. The conservation side of the farm bill. We're seeing so much of the climate smart farming efforts push through USDA with the, using those commodity credit corporation funds. Some that are going to be the decision makers on the farm bill want to get that back into the farm program rather than a USDA program. What's, what's your thoughts there? You know, I think I prefer to see it in the USDA program because uh, whenever you start getting farm bill programs, it, it, it gets weakened down, I feel. And I think that if, if you keep it in the USDA, then you've got a, a true program that you, you can, can work with. Okay. All right, very good. What's got you excited about the year ahead for ASA? Well, one thing is exciting is to make sure we all are singing from the same uh, pew, uh, the uh, yeah. pew, uh, not the pew, but the the, the same book. Car, uh, yeah, the yeah. book. Because <laughs> I mean, I remember the last farm bill. They told us it, you cannot be split in your what you're wanting if you don't aren't united you're not going to get anything and that that is an important thing that we have to be united one of the other big issues during my presidency coming up is we've had a wonderful relationship here the last few years with our USEC partner with the united soybean board and we we want to definitely keep that relationship working as strong because hey we're all hitting here this to work for the, the American soybean farmer to try and increase our profitability. Yeah, you know, Daryl, the one voice, the unified voice, and working across the board. Even work, I shouldn't say even, 
working with the livestock groups, the, the organizations, that has become a priority for the ASA and for the, the corn growers as well. Definitely, because, like I said, livestock is our number one user of the meal. Yep. So, I mean, we have to work together. Yeah. Absolutely. Believe me, and from my perspective, something that, that, that is something that I've wanted to see more of for many years, and to see it happening is, is really cool. Daryl, good luck to you. Have fun as, uh, as the president of ASA. Thank you very much. It's going to be an exciting year. It absolutely will be. All right. That is Daryl Cates. He's the current vice president, going to be president of the American Soybean Association um, down there in Missouri. Uh, Guys, stay tuned with us. We've got more coming up. You know, I just mentioned the NCGA. We've got Tom Hag from NCGA coming up next right here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. If the world is your oyster... We've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. We're going to put a wrap on our morning coverage from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting meeting down in Kansas City. I mentioned at the end of the last segment that we were going to talk with Tom Haig, but uh, instead, I've got Bradley Shad. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Missouri Corn and a big-time biofuel supporter. Bradley, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a great opportunity to be here. And as you said, long-time biofuel supporter. It's uh, very important to the industry, but very important to me. Um, I, I started back in uh, college blending my own uh, ethanol into my... Was that was that legal? Uh, <clears throat> well, my, my vehicle was beyond its uh, useful lifespan, so yes, it actually is legal. <laughs> Um, but uh, it, it is important uh, because it's uh, better for the environment. Uh, it's better for our corn farmers. It's bringing uh, energy security here uh, uh, to the Midwest and, and across the nation. And so um, it's all around producing jobs here at home. And uh, so it's, it's great for uh, all, of the, all of the nation. i tell you what, you, you put a lot to unpack into a short period of time there. Uh, COP27 just happened with, in Egypt with the sustainability efforts and the environmental efforts and the climate change efforts and everything they're out there looking for solutions and i think in many cases those looking for solutions 
are too willing to overlook some of the answers that are right in front of them, and ethanol is one of the answers. Absolutely, ethanol is one of the answers. It's, uh, it's, it's probably the best answer out there whenever you look at the full life cycle of all of that. Uh, it's renewable. Um, it can be produced uh, across the globe. Um, you, you get a protein source at the backside of it. Yeah. You are um, capturing the CO2, uh, using it in beverages, using it in packing facilities, uh, and making it more economical uh, food products out there uh, because of those, uh, bio, those co-products that the ethanol plant produces. Um, there, there's nothing more sustainable than something that is regenerative. We can go and actually continue producing corn year after year, environmentally sustainable, uh, using science uh, to back us up. Uh, it's very important uh, that it is a re renewable product. You know, you, you look at um, whether it be solar panels uh, or the lithium-ion battery, uh, those are finite resources. They're, they're precious metals uh, that uh, we have to be careful that there's only a certain amount of those, and once they're used, can they be regenerated? Uh, ethanol is a renewable resource that, that we got to continue to be producing, and uh, our farmers are continuing getting better and better uh, on sustainability um, and, and producing more on less less acres. The technology that these, uh, as you go around uh, the, all the different companies here, the technology that they're bringing for our farmers uh, is very, very important. You're preaching it, man, and I love it. What you're talking about is something that each and every lawmaker has to understand if we're going to see progress on some of these bills and efforts out there like the Next Gen Fuels Act. There's still an education effort that has to take place. There most definitely is an education piece out there. Uh, consumers want to make sure that they have a, the ability to purchase a fuel that is safe for the vehicle, and ethanol is that. Uh, we got to continue getting that message out there to those consumers so they understand that. We've got to move forward uh, with the Next Generation Fuels Act. So the auto companies right now, they're mandated by uh, CAFE standards to produce an uh, uh, electric vehicle. Um, we got to make sure that they have the ability to produce an internal combustion engine to take advantage of the octane that ethanol produces to get better fuel economy uh, and a more environmentally sustainable fuel. Yeah. The higher the blend, the higher the octane. The Next Gen Fuels Act includes the next gen of the internal combustible engine. Are the automakers going to buy in on this? Oh, they're absolutely bought in on this. They, they want to be able to do that, but right now they, they don't have the ability to because the CAFE standards require them uh, to produce the EVs. And so we want to give them the ability uh, to produce those internal combustion engines uh, into the future. Um, you know, it's all about the strategy. I'm not saying that we don't need EVs because we do and it works yeah. in certain ability. But in outstate Missouri or outstate Iowa, uh, wherever you're at, um, you can't go a long way. We don't have the infrastructure there. Um, and and a lot of those uh, places are still using coal, uh, which isn't a bad thing. We've got to have coal, too. Uh, but w whenever you look at the full environmental footprint, uh, ethanol is a great opportunity to use whenever we have already have the infrastructure there that can be uh, using ethanol. Um, we have worked with the, the different companies that produce the, the pumps out there. And going across the board, you'll be able to use E25 in any of those uh, and even higher to E40 uh, as we, we move forward with those companies uh, to be able to, to uh, distribute uh, higher blends of ethanol into these new, the next-gen uh, vehicles, internal combustion engines that are out there. Okay. Tell you what, Bradley, after what we're going through now with gas prices, it's as important as it has ever been as, as far as ethanol goes. Absolutely. You know, there's there's nothing more important than being energy secure because you've got to have energy to do anything, whether it be produce the crop, whether it, it be getting the transportation of goods to uh, where you're going. 
Um, there's nothing more important than that uh, besides food security. And, you know, whenever you're producing ethanol, you're producing food as well. Yeah. Uh, food for the animals, feed for the animals, which produces food on the plate. And so there is nothing more important than the, the ethanol industry continuing to produce a high-quality product uh, that can be used in the next generation fuels um, that actually decreases uh, the amount of fuel consumed by allowing um, uh, more octane to be used because you get better fuel economy with these next-gen uh, 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 engines that are out there. I've only got about a minute left, but there's some education that needs to happen here as well because the consumers are still being fooled into the idea that somehow, some way, ethanol is going to be, is bad, is quote-unquote bad. That, that education effort with the consumer has got to continue. The education consumer definitely has to uh, continue. Uh, there is so much misinformation out there. That's actually where I got my start in the corn industry, is uh, breaking a lot of those myths. Um, we have a lot of information out there and actual scientific data to back us up that ethanol is completely safe for all engines out there at an E10 level. As we move forward, uh, all engines out there can even use E15 uh, as far as... Uh, yeah. uh, the on-road vehicles. Uh, we've got to continue increasing the amount that's that's available. Uh, but ethanol, you know, it's uh, safe enough to drink in its pure form uh, yeah. in moderation. Uh, so how is it going to deteriorate your fuel lines or anything like that in small engines? Whenever the real change is actually in the gasoline itself, it, it's actually uh, producing, uh, you know, they're using aromatics that are, are more corrosive yeah. to those plastic yes. parts. Um, and so we've got the, the science to back us up on that, and, and we, we've got to get that information out there. Bradley, we are out of time, but at some point you and I have to have a conversation about the next gen of the biofuels, sustainable aviation fuel, and so on, because what a market opportunity there. Huge opportunity, and, and we want to be able to continue that. Uh, we have the ability, whenever you look at the technology that our farmers are doing, and I look forward to the opportunity to, to get the information out there and educate the consumers. Bradley, thank you so much. That is Bradley Shad, Chief Executive Officer of Missouri Corn. All right, come back this afternoon, 206 Central, for more AgriTalk from NAFB.